So I'm sitting here now looking at the IB Podcast Instagram page and we've made exactly one post and have just reached over 10 followers. I think if anything is indicative of a new beginning, that would be it. So thank you for tuning in to the IB Podcast on SoundCloud. Hopefully in the near future I'm going to be getting onto iTunes. Um, hopefully if they accept the podcast and if all goes well with that. But I think today it is important to start off with why. Why I have brought this podcast into existence. Um, I feel like there isn't really an interactive way to learn and discuss everything to do with IB. And I think that audio is going to be such an important way to do that in the coming future. And I find it absolutely incredible that there there just isn't any audio solution to learning about IB. Um, I know in my previous years, I was doing the IGCSE course and there, I think it was history. I found, I found a course for history or a podcast for history. And that was literally the only way I studied for my exams was I would listen to history podcasts by Mr. Allsop History. And I would make notes on the podcast or just listen to the podcast in, in different ways. I think that time is definitely imperative. And especially in IB, your time management needs to be very, very good. So I think the ability to passively listen whilst doing your general activities. I mean, you could be driving, public transport, you could be exercising. I think exercising is the biggest one of them all. So let's say you're exercising. You could be listening to this podcast, learning about your courses or revising for exams. And I think that is just going to be so, so important in the future because it allows you to use time that would have been wasted and turn it into something useful. I mean, you could literally listen to podcasts whilst eating breakfast or brushing your teeth or going to sleep. So there's definitely a lot of time uh, for podcasts and there's a lot of time in your general life that goes to waste. I think that this podcast has so much potential for growth and that is one of the driving factors for this thing. I don't, I have no idea where this thing is going to go, but I feel that in the future, there's so many directions it can split off into and that is one of the reasons for starting it. There is something good in the fact that I'm an IB student myself because when you get to the interactive points of these podcasts where you're asking questions and I'm answering them, you are able to relate because, or I'm able to relate because we're both an IB. So we have a common interest, a common goal to pass IB and to figure out the best methods to do so. So what exactly is the podcast going to be about at the moment? Well, I think I think I want to integrate the IB humor into into a form of revision or or general tips and hints for people. I know that <laughs> there's a lot of IB meme pages out there and <laughs> they're incredibly funny because IB is probably the most demanding course in higher education in the entire world. That's my opinion. Um, maybe that's just because I am an IB student. <laughs> I like to think that. But I, I feel that a lot of people do agree. And the fact that IB is so demanding, <laughs> there comes a lot of humor out of it. So I think it would be very cool to integrate the, the humor aspect with revision because I think that will stimulate memory better than anything else. I think uh, 
at the moment we're going to bring in the interactive segment and it's definitely going to be one that can exp expand because <laughs> at the moment with 10 followers i'm literally i'm messaging people and asking them for questions right now hopefully in the future we'll be getting questions uh, that we can pick from and choose some really good ones but for now i've gotten a couple of questions which is still quite cool so we will be answering a couple a little bit later on Another aspect of the podcast is going to be general tips and advice for IB. I think there's a lot you can learn about how to do well. And hopefully in the future, I mean, I'm not entirely sure at the moment, but in the future, we could maybe get students on the podcast um, to interview them. We could get teachers. So if we get those people involved, you'll be able to see different perspectives and to see how people are going about IB themselves. So... For example, if there's an IB student who's achieved 40 or higher points, we can get them on the podcast. We can ask them what their strategy was. We can see the various techniques they used. So I think that's going to be extremely interesting in the future. It's for me and for you. That's that's the really cool thing about it because I'm in IB1 at the or DP1. So that's IB DP1, which is the first year of IB uh, in our school. So I've still got a way to go, and I think it will be very interesting to hear from the peop people who have really achieved good results. We're going to be looking at ridiculous and insane CAS ideas, because I think CAS, although people might not think so, I think it has so much potential to do some really, really cool things. And at some stage, I'll be telling you a story about what I did with a friend for our CAS project and how incredible and ridiculous it actually was. Uh, we'll also be speaking about extended essays and topics you can do and just general tips and advice for all these kinds of things. So I think there's definitely an enormous amount of content that we can get through and we will we'll be going through all of it in the future, I suppose, in the future episodes. Okay, so for now, I think we will get into some questions from social media and that is at instagram.com slash the IB podcast. So we have a few questions <laughs> that I've sort of uh, forced people to ask. <laughs> no, not really. No, people, um, people have asked a few questions. So let's, let's dive into them and see how we can answer them. So Maggie McDonald has asked, how do different IB schools uh, go about doing the, the curriculum? So it's difficult for me to say because I'm only at one IB school, so I can't speak for all of them, but I can speak for mine. So... The IB school I'm at is in South Africa. Uh, we only have the DP program, which is over two years. So we don't have, um, although we have MYP1 up until MYP3, and then we move on to IGCSE, which is a, a British thing, I believe. And after two years of IGCSE, we go into the DP program for two years. So in the DP program, we don't, we have, I would say we've got an average range of subject selection. We don't have the full extent of the IB selection because we just don't have enough teachers to teach all of them. Um, however, there is uh, certain courses we can take online. So for example, uh, there's people in my grade taking psychology, some are taking IT. Um, we could have taken film if we wanted to. So there are a few online courses we could have taken, um, but they would have come at an extra cost. So in general, we only have like the core subjects. We will have, uh, of course, English language and literature, mathematics, physics, um, your general sciences. So you'll have the chemistry, biology, of course, 
Uh, we also have global politics, which is a new course in the IB. Um, I'm actually taking that, so I'll definitely be open to questions. And in fact, I think we will definitely be speaking about global politics in the near future. Okay, Alex Westgate, he says, any tips on balancing time between CAS, IB, EE, and extracurricular? Okay, my biggest point of advice for this, and I cannot emphasize this enough, is get your CAS done. So you really need to focus on getting your CAS done in your first year of IB. So at the moment, I'm in my fourth term, I'm not too sure. So that's second semester, I think you'd say in, in America. So I'm at the back end of IB1 and I've completed my CAS. So the reason this is so important is because once you've completed your CAS, you can really put your energy and time into working on your EE. So I'm soon to be starting on my EE, um, but the important thing is that I don't have to stress about CAS hours anymore. Um, and when it comes to extracurricular, I really think you should be trying to log every single piece of extracurricular activities you do to your CAS hours. I think that is very, very important because you'll be surprised how quickly you can actually rack up the hours. With CAS, you need, to, of course, you need a service component. That was the most difficult component for me because you seriously go out of your way for that. It's, I know with cultural or, or creativity and action, uh, you can kind of get around those by doing things you'd normally do, but service where you're serving the community is quite a tough one. So think of some unique ideas. I think th there is a lot of things you can do out there. Um, so I think just put your head down and really, really think about an idea that you can you can come to terms with and that you can put effort into without feeling too bad. Okay, so Steve Marquez, he says, how to study when teachers do not teach you? Now that is a good question because I think there is a lot of teaching problems in the entire world, actually, and I think uh, we've had some in the past at our school as well. So there are definitely, what's so beautiful about this day and age is that we have online resources. Online resources is probably the best thing that could have ever happened to education because it actually means you can take everything into your own hands. So for example, you can use videos, but I don't think videos should be the only thing you do because what comes in goes out very quickly, right? So what I would do is I would watch videos and then reinforce that knowledge that you've, you've learned with online resources such as study guides and uh, online PDFs, all that kind of thing. You'll find there's a lot of resources out there. Um, however, there's one that, I, this is why I've actually started this, is because there's no podcasts. There's no online podcasts for IB. I was looking for a podcast to study for myself um, and there just wasn't any to be found. So I thought, why would I not just start my own one? and learn in the process of making it and by teaching everybody else. So I think podcast is a very, very good one and I've explained why is because you can listen to a podcast whilst doing other things. And I think listening whilst driving, for example, that's what I do. I listen to audiobooks or podcasts whilst I'm driving and I spend about an hour of driving a day. So I get an hour of knowledge as opposed to just an hour of nothing. So it really, really is efficient and beneficial podcasts aren't so well known yet um, so there's not a lot of people looking for them but I definitely feel like they are the way of the future. Okay my biggest advice uh, for when teachers don't teach you is find past papers. There are, 
to your surprise, there are a lot of past papers out there online. You just need to do the digging. Um, I know our class has found a lot of past papers and it is probably the most essential thing to do for your studying. What you need to do though, you need to do past papers and then you need to identify your weaknesses. And when you identify your weaknesses, you go and revise them in your textbooks or study guides. Study guides are often better because they summarize a textbook. I, I always feel like the textbooks waffle a bit too much. So find study guides online. You'll also find those. Just be very specific with what kind of study guide you're looking for. So past papers, do those until the cows come home. I cannot stress that enough. Past papers, past papers, past papers. Then another question from Steve Marquez was, how do you have good time management when you're in big clubs? You need to make sure you're logging the clubs as cash hours because when you're doing your clubs, you're effectively doing work. So definitely make sure to use them as cash hours. And then <laughs> this is a difficult one, but try not to procrastinate when you get home. Like I know if you're doing sport or anything, when you get home at six o'clock or whatever it is, you're very tired, you don't wanna do work, but try do half an hour to an hour of work and then you can relax. It's very difficult, but it definitely does help in the long run. Cooper Loas asks difference between HL and SL mathematics. So that's high level or standard level. It's a good question. Uh, coming into my first year of IBDP, I started out with high level math. I thought it would be achievable for me, um, but as time went on, I quickly began to realize that it was just not for me. So I ended up dropping to standard level, but I do think it is possible. There are a few people in my class who have remained in mathematics high level, but it is very important to know that if you're gonna be doing mathematics high level, it becomes your life. You literally, you have to know that math is going to be in your career. It is incredibly difficult. Not only uh, is it more difficult than standard level, you have a lot more content to cover. And I think that is definitely one of the key factors as to why it's such a challenge. The, the sheer content of what you do is just absolutely mind blowing. Um, so you really need to be on a different level in terms of mathematical thinking. You need to spend a lot of time trying to grasp conce concepts. You also, <laughs> you find yourself extremely frustrated at times and you definitely need to be able to deal with frustration on a whole new level. Chris Litty asks, what can you expect from business management? So business management, I think it's a fairly new course that rolls out amongst IB schools and that's what he's indicated here is that it's a new subject in his school. Um, I think business management, it's a very much, it's kind of like a, it's a textbook subject, meaning everything you do comes straight from the textbook. It's not, it's not like chemistry or physics where you require a ridiculous amount of understanding. It's more about getting to know the content. So it's similar to economics in that respect. So I do economics um, and the fact that you need to go through the textbook, you need to know all the definitions. Um, definitions is very, very important. And the problem with that is it takes a lot of time to revise. So you can understand something, but you need to know word by word definitions. So I think that is, um, it's a challenge for some people, but for some others, it's a preferred thing to do. It will teach you basic business skills, so it will business structures, types of organizations, basic finance, and that kind of thing. So I think it will give you a sort of brief uh, preparation for university business. However, I don't think it's required by most universities. I think you can 
you can take off uh, from the beginning at universities with business. So yeah, I think if you put the effort into business management, you can definitely achieve high results, which is also good because it boosts your point score. Okay, Peru asks, does my EE have to relate to one of the subjects I'm taking? Simple answer, yes. And it needs to be very specific. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but your extended essay needs to have a question that you think you can answer in one sentence. The level of depth you go into for how specific the question you come up with is unbelievable. And to answer the question directly, yes, it it really has to relate to a single subject. And they are very clear about that in the IB. So you don't want to be washing between two or more subjects, you really need to stick to one subject and be, y you need to relate your extended essay back to your subject all the time. Another question Pedro asked is, how does the point system work in exams if I'm taking four high level subjects as opposed to three? So there is no difference at all. The fact that you're taking four high level subjects is, it's not the smartest thing to do and the IB doesn't actually recommend it because most likely you'll score less and make sure the one that you're dropping is not one that you needed to get into university. So look at universities that you want to go to and what courses you're looking at and make sure your high level subjects correspond with the courses that you want to take. That's the questions section done for today. Um, I really do look forward to some more of the questions that you guys have to ask in the future. It is going to be very, very cool. And at some stage we could even do Skype questions, we could do um, Instagram video questions. The room for growth is very, very big and I'm super excited about that. So today I'm going to speak about English further oral activities. So a further oral activity or sh known as abbreviated form as FOAs. Um, I'm sure if you're in IBDP you know about these and if you don't you need to get to know them. Uh, so what they are is basically two oral activities you need to do over the course of two years. I think with this, again, very similar to CAS, you should definitely look at getting this done in your first year. It's recommended that you get these done in the latter ends of your first year because you are more familiar with the, with the language, um, you're familiar with how orals work. So doing them right in the beginning is probably not the best idea. But what is so cool about this is you have infinite attempts. So if your first two don't go well, you can do more. So that is why it's important to get them done early so that if you didn't get good grades, you have time to do more of them. So the reason I bring this up today is because I'm actually doing my second one in the next couple of weeks and I've sort of got my rough structure outlined. So I'm gonna sort of be giving you a or an idea as to what you can do with your further oral activity and I'll be sort of explaining what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and why I think it could be effective. In your FOAs, you have a part one and a part two. So you need to make sure two of your FOAs go across those two parts of the English course. Part one generally, generally relates to language analysis, taboo, gender, context and culture, that kind of thing. Part two is uh, mass media, advertising, and that kind of thing. So. Today I am doing mine on the part one, well not today, but I'm going to be telling you about mine which is on part one. It kind of links in with part two, but I'm going to be looking specifically at language um, and I'll explain how I'm doing all of that.
Okay, so essentially my FLA part one is on Steve Jobs. So what exactly about Steve Jobs? Essentially, I'm looking at how Steve Jobs uses language specifically to appeal to an audience. So I'm going to be looking at uh, speeches, adverts, and quotes within my FLA, um, which does tie into part two, but I'm going to be looking specifically at the language. So the things I'll look at would kind of be things like idealect. So idealect, or idealect is essentially a miniature dialect, which is a way of speaking unique to a person, if that makes sense. So how does Steve Jobs, uh, or what kind of idealect does Steve Jobs have? What, what is his specific way of speaking? Um, we need to look at audience and purpose. So how does audience and purpose uh, shape the meaning of the speeches, adverts, and quotes? And how does it affect the structure of the content? So I think it's very important to understand that, that bit of audience and purpose. Um, we're going to look at context and culture as well and how that shapes the meaning. And then most importantly, I think I want to, I really want to explore identity and how, how is the audience able to relate um, just simply through language. So the first thing I'll do in my FOA is introduce and give some background knowledge to who Steve Jobs is. So I'll say things like, uh, he's the co-founder of Apple Computers, and then I'll ask the class, who did he co-find it with? Um, so I think it's important in your FOAs to make sure that you're interactive and you get the class involved, because when your audience is paying attention, um, the marker or examiner can see that, and when you have an engaged audience, generally you have better interaction. So that that definitely plays a part in a successful FOA. So make sure you ask questions throughout. So I'll say, who did Steve Jobs co-find Apple computers with? The answer is Steve Wozniak. Steve Jobs was adopted. He grew up in Silicon Valley. Um, some of you may know this already, but he, he didn't actually, I mean, he paid for the first six months of university and then he dropped out effectively. And then he essentially sat in classes he just felt like sitting in without actually paying for university. Um, so you could sit in classes which he was he was interested in. Um, I mean, like things like calligraphy classes he sat in, which later became a huge, huge innovation. Um, the first Apple workshop was in Steve's parents' garage. He was effectively kicked out of his own company by the board. Uh, he started a company called Next, which was later bought uh, by Apple. He also started Pixar, who then went on to create uh, the Toy Story film which is massive i think it was the biggest animation film ever and then he rejoined apple and revived the company so i think it is important and essential to give some background to what you are doing um by doing this you give context to everything you're going to be speaking about so the next thing i'm going to be speaking about in my foa was uh the golden circle rule and this came about by a man called uh, simon sinek he has a TED talk on it, and it's absolutely incredible. I highly recommend looking at it. Essentially what it is, it's three rings. It's an inner, middle, and outer ring, which corresponds to a brain, and essentially how language works uh, to appeal to uh, your limbic or uh, reptilian brain, which is the brain that is responsible for feelings, um, trust, and especially loyalty. So it's basically how Apple and Steve Jobs use language to appeal to that part of the brain as opposed to 
the neocortex, which, which is your rational thinking. So your what, so normal companies will sell you what they're doing. So for example, Microsoft will say, we have a computer with this and this and this, this specs, that specs, whatever. What that does is that appeals to your neocortex, your language brain, and you are quick to rationalize things. So because you haven't developed any trust or loyalty yet, often uh, rationally thinking you will disregard the product and be like, something doesn't feel right. However, if you work like Apple and you speak to the limbic brain, what you're doing is you're developing a trust and sense of, of loyalty uh, with the person before you've even told them what your product is. I think that is what is so good about what Steve Jobs has done. So how does he use language to appeal to the limbic brain? So he uses good examples, he uses metaphors, emotive diction, and anecdotes. I think what's so good about this is he complements it with gestures, emphasis, and open-ended questions. So what happens with good examples and metaphors is it, it enables you to, to think and it, it kind of stimulates imagery, it puts you in certain positions, it allows you to relate more. What is the effect of this? Well, it inspires, motivates, and interests an audience. And I think most importantly, it develops the loyalty. So then in my FOA, I would go on to analyze uh, really powerful quotes. Um, I think, okay, I'm gonna read you one. Uh, this is quite a big one, but I think it is a very, very good one. And it goes something like this. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. This is such an incredible piece of language. <laughs> it's hard to even begin. First of all, here's the crazy ones. What, what does that actually do? So that in a toast or, or an acknowledgement, generally you'll start with here's to, here's to this, here's to that. So what is this saying? It's saying that Apple values you. Here's to the crazy ones. The reason you're identifying with the crazy ones is because they're linking the crazy ones with uh, inflated language like human race, changing the world. You naturally identify with the crazy ones because they're mentioning misfits, rebels, troublemakers, and round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. I think everyone to some extent, especially the target audience of Apple um, students, they like to think that they see things differently. So by using that kind of language, they're forcing identification with the crazy ones. We see genius. So when they say we see genius, they're putting Apple on the same side as the audience. And what does that do? That develops trust, that develops loyalty. So to give some context um, for this speech, this was uh, Crazy Ones, and it was published in the Think Different campaign. And what was so good about the Think Different campaign was that IBM, their main competitors at the time, had a slogan called Think, and the play Think Different, which is grammatically incorrect actually, but Think Different, immediately takes a shot at IBM for one, but also one-ups them. Um, I think 
it's so clever to do this, and I'll explain why later. So in my FOI, I'll go on to analyze another two more, another two quotes, and then this is where it gets very interesting. I compare how Trump used a similar strategy to Steve Jobs. It's very, very weird to get your head around, but it is just so true. Steve Jobs, uh, he liked to create sides. He liked to vilify his opponents. So for example, here's a quote. The only problem with Microsoft is that they just have no taste. They have absolutely no taste. And I don't mean that in a small way. I mean that in a big way. In the sense that they don't think of original ideas. They don't bring much culture into their products. So what are they doing here? They, Steve Jobs is branding Microsoft as the company with a lack of culture, no original ideas, and absolutely no taste. What does that do? That immediately puts a very negative image of Microsoft in your head. And I think it's so, so interesting how Trump used such a similar strategy in his presidential campaign. So in the Republican primaries, Trump came up against, I think, 16 other candidates or 17, something like that. And at first, everybody laughed. They thought it was a joke. It was an absolute joke. He was going to get absolutely nowhere. What did he do to get attention? This is what is so interesting, is that Trump, he used outlandish and unorthodox language. So he would say ridiculously uh, brutal things about races. Um, he'd be racist, misogynist, bigoted, whatever you want to call it. But the reason for this and maybe he, he is those things. But what that did was it brought him media attention for free. He literally paid for no media attention. And he got so much more than anybody else because he was saying these things. Okay, so after he got attention, he started picking off his opponents one by one, much like Steve Jobs did. So Jeb Bush was the first one. What did he do? He branded him. He branded him as weak, low energy. And it put again, a negative image into the people that were supporting him. Ted Cruz was next. He labeled Ted Cruz as lying Ted. What did this do? It, it also created a culture against Ted Cruz as lying Ted. So whenever Ted Cruz wanted to say something, people would just shout lying Ted, lying Ted, lying Ted, which it literally did not allow him to say anything without being attacked. Everybody thought Trump could not go up against Hillary Clinton because of the things he said in the past. But the things he said in the past in the Republican section was just to get ahead in the public Republican ge game um, because the audience he was targeting generally weren't the uh, immigrants. They were very conservative people, so people that would generally, on a very general scale, not disagree with him. But then he immediately changed his attitude when he got head-to-head uh, -head with Hillary Clinton. He started saying things like he wouldn't bomb people. He thinks that's not not the right approach. So he definitely changed his stance and it, it clearly worked. He then went on to label Hillary as heartless Hillary. That's an alliteration. He's got two H's there. It's, it sticks very well. And what it did was, again, built a whole culture against Hillary. And I think what Jobs did was the exact same thing to his opponents. So if you look at it, Android, he described them as fragmented. Fragmented, you don't want to hear that in a technology company. Um, Microsoft, no taste, not original, lacks culture. IBM, think versus think different. So you can see there's numerous examples of where Steve Jobs and Donald Trump labeled their opponents and developed 
almost like a cult against them. And I think that is what is so interesting to look at because it clearly was successful for the two of them. I, th I think not only was it branding their opponents, but it was also being so unorthodox. It was being different to everybody else. So in general, that would have been my further oral activity. It would be something like that. It obviously, I went into a bit more detail on certain aspects with a few more quotes. I obviously spoke about a bit or would will speak about context and culture a little bit more. Um, but yeah, in general, that is what the FOA is about. Um, yeah, so I think for the podcast today, it's what I'm setting up. We're probably going to end up at around 30 to 35 minutes, which is pretty good, I think, for the first one. Um, I'm not too sure how long these things are going to go on for in the future, but we'll see. I think it's very exciting to see where this thing goes. And I hope you enjoyed the first episode. I, I hope I can bring value to uh, your, your education. Um, that's kind of the goal here is to add value. And um, yeah, I want to be interactive with everybody that's listening which will probably be a grand total of five people for this episode, but that's all right. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, yeah, so to end it off, I would invite you to check out the Facebook page. Just yeah, search on Facebook, The IB Podcast, uh, Instagram.com forward slash The IB Podcast, and follow on SoundCloud, follow on all the social media platforms. Remember, if you want to ask questions, uh, go onto Instagram, send us a DM, or you can send an email send an email to asktheibpodcast at gmail.com. That is asktheibpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can give me some suggestions as to what you want to hear, um, what you think would be a good idea for the show. And yeah, thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.